Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. shall do. You're going to do the works that I do also, but even greater works than these shall ye do because I go into my father. And so we begin to ask ourselves the question, what are greater works? Because think with me here for a moment. How can anybody's works be greater than the works of Jesus? Pausing for effect. Uh, You can't get more miraculous than the healing of the lame and, and, and the death and the dumb the raising of the dead, or for that matter, uh, raising himself from the dead. Greater works than these shall you do. How, how, how can that be greater? Plus, greater can't simply mean just greater as far as just strictly in number because at the end of our Gospel of John that we'll get to eventually uh, tells us that if everything that Jesus did was recorded, that the world itself could not even contain the books that would have been written in order to hold it. So when we talk about greater works than these should do, what are we talking about? I submit to you tonight that greater works will abound because as Jesus said, I go unto my father. He's going to return unto heaven and Jesus as a man is no longer going to exist on the earth, but he's going to send the spirit the Holy Ghost that you and I have received. And that man, Christ Jesus, is going to be released, if you will, uh, from that human flesh at Calvary. And then he's going to return on the day of Pentecost by his spirit. And greater things will be done everywhere. If I could say it like this, the scope of the works are going to go beyond just Jerusalem. They're going to go beyond Galilee. They're going to go beyond the different places that Jesus' feet touched during his earthly ministry. More things will be done in more places at the same time because it will be his spirit operating through his disciples and through believers all over the place. These things will be happening at the same time simultaneously uh, all throughout uh, the world because his spirit will be residing in his believers throughout the world. He even spoke to his disciples in Mark talking about of this day that would be a approaching that he would be in them and he said that the word the Lord would work with them and confirm the word with signs and and signs that would follow he said in Philippians that it would be God working in us here's the awesome thing about that because uh, to begin with, you know, it was Jesus. People came to Jesus for healing. Jesus went to people and healed people, touched them. Sometimes uh, the, the, the counts were few, but he sent his word and healed them. But now we just took Jesus and we multiplied him. I'm not talking about we made so many, you understand. We just multiplied him by the dispersing of his spirit into all of the body, the church, the body of Christ. And folks, the body of Christ is enormous. Brother Malone just kind of, you know, kind of alluded to that a little bit tonight. You know, to get at, it's nice to go to rallies, things like that, to go see that you're not the only one because it's more than just who's sitting here. The body of Christ is more than all the individual churches of the district that we're a part of. 
It's bigger than that. We'll go to NYC in a few weeks and we'll see that it's even larger than that. And in essence, it's even larger than the representation that takes place there. It is enormous. Have you ever wondered, or is this just me? Have you ever wondered how many people across the globe on any given Sunday received the Holy Ghost and got baptized in Jesus' name? Have you ever just sat and thought about that? How many people there may have been that got the Holy Ghost or feel or, or, or baptized in Jesus' name on any given day. I'm talking about within the United States, over in foreign countries, probably at a different time zone. You know, all these different things that are going on in a solitary day. Or how many healings or miracles? Think about it. How many healings or miracles that have been accomplished in a solitary moment across the globe? That as that one was getting the report that they don't have cancer, as that one was getting the report there's no tumor there that was formerly there, it all happening at the same time. That's a greater work. The scope is so massive and so large because of the distribution of his spirit inside those who have received his spirit. And in the Gospels, again, the people, many times we see like blind Bartimaeus, the Bible says when he heard that it was Jesus that passed by, he cried out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. He's blind. He's one healed of his blindness. Then there's other people like the lady with the issue of blood. The Bible says that she made her way through the crowd and she touched the hem of his garment trying to find him. But to Today, his spirit works and courses through his body, you and I, the church of the living God. And so I realize, again, there were times that he sent his word and he healed them, right? But there's a lot of times that didn't happen because they didn't have the faith for that type of work to be done. Because whenever the man told him, he said, hey, I have men under me. I tell that one, go. He goes, that one, do this, and he does that. Just, just speak the word. And he's like, great is your faith in Israel. Because a lot of people didn't have that faith for that type of work. But today, we live in a generation, in an era of time that I would hope to say that we've experienced so much, we've been exposed to so much, that we can mix our faith with God's word and it's materializing in a greater works of scope. Amen. Everywhere, foreign countries, home missions, works, and in churches across the globe. In so much, it's happening everywhere. In so much. But the Bible says we can ask things in his name, in Jesus' name, and it will be done. In pagan practices, worshipers, they mounded up and got together as much as they could the names of their deities, and they would speak them and exercise them in their prayers just in hopes, mind the word hopes, just in hopes that at least one of those names would be effective for them. Woo. But folks, I'm not rolling the dice tonight. I'm not on a hope or a whim. But whenever I pray in his name according to his will, it shall be done. His name is not magic. I like to consider his name as majesty. Amen. It's majestic. Of course, asking things in his name is more than just making our request or our petition and then saying, in Jesus' name. Right? Oh, Lord, you know, give me this, do this, thus and so, in Jesus' name. Right? It's like this. We got this now. It's sealed, Jesus' name. You know, just say Jesus' name over anything, and it's okay. Just Jesus' name. Asking things in his name, when we ask things in Jesus' name, we are asking things in correlation 
to his character or attributes because his name is his nature. This is important because this is where we're asking then according to his will. When we ask in his name, understanding that Jesus, the name Jesus, is the composite of all the attributes and characteristics of God. All that God is, is embodied in the name Jesus. For that matter, embodied in the body as it was when it walked upon the earth, the body of Jesus Christ. So when you ask in Jesus' name, you ask employing all of those attributes, all those characteristics of God by virtue of his name. What that does for us when we pray in Jesus' name, again, it's more than just speaking Jesus' name. That keeps us in the right position concerning our prayers because we are asking things according to his nature. What I mean is this. If what we ask is opposing or against his nature, then we ask amiss. We're not really asking in his name according to who he is, according to his nature. Sometimes people want to pray for things, slap Jesus' name on it. Amen. But that isn't where it's at. It's what you're asking for in accordance with who he is. Are you asking him to do something that's against his character? Are you asking him for something that isn't one of his attributes of love and joy and peace and lonesome? Someone say amen. So when we pray, we ask things in his name and it will be done. Prayer is not asking God for what we want. It is really asking God for what he wants. Oh, yeah. First John chapter five and verse 14. As a matter of fact, folks, I was in this little spot today of this whole prayer part of this, and I'm, I'm just about ready to revisit the Lord's prayer. It's been like 10 years since I've done it, and I'm just getting all excited about prayer as I was looking at this. First John five and verse 14. And this is the confidence, first John that is, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. We, we like the petition. We like the request. Ask. Sometimes we lead with all of that in prayer. Prayer is more than just petitioning. Prayer is more than just asking. The Bible talks about supplications. Talks about thanksgiving. All of those things also are a part of prayer. Sometimes we get stuck in a rut with prayer. And it's just petition. And it's just request. As a matter of fact, Phil, uh, Phil Yancey in his book on prayer said, according to the Gallup, the, the, the Gallup pose, more Americans will pray this week than will exercise, drive a car, or go to work. Nine out of ten pray regularly. Now, that doesn't tell us all the intent of their prayer. And God, in the verses there of 12 through through 14 that I read in your hearing, God should get the glory. That's what verse 13 says, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do so that the Father will be glorified in the Son. God should get the glory when we pray. And things should be accomplished through Jesus' name because remember what Jesus said even in his earthly ministry. He told us in John 5, he said, I come in my father's name. And the works that Jesus did, he said, I did in my father's name. So if you're going to applaud me for my works, 
you're applauding my father because these are his works. Again, folks, in case we don't get lost in the translation of things, Jesus Christ was a man, but he had two natures. He had a human nature and a divine nature. God's spirit was inside of Christ Jesus. All right? And so anything, God should get the glory in everything, though we use the name of Jesus. That's the name of his father. Amen. It's always been about, from beginning of time till now, it's always been about God getting the glory. Answered prayer isn't about, listen to me, answered prayer isn't so much about the person who prays. All right? Oh, you need to have this person pray. Answered prayer isn't so much about the person who prays, but it's about the one they pray to and the name that they pray in. Amen. Amen. The, the, from the Lord's Prayer is the line that says, Thy kingdom come. You all know it. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You know this prayer. You know this prayer. You know this prayer is being answered, right? Because when what is being done in the earth reflects what's being done in the heaven. Prayer is being answered. Stop here for a moment. In the earth, in earth, isn't simply our planet. Watch me here. In the earth isn't simply our planet. In the earth is our lives. Paul told the church at Corinth that they were earthen vessels. In John 3, John the Baptist said, he that is of the earth is earthly. Scripture even teaches us from dust or from the dirt whence we came and to that dirt or dust whence we will return. So the earth in some regards is the soil of this planet. The same soil that Adam was created from that he will go back to. Thus, our prayer, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in earth. Someone say in me. Woo. In me as it is in heaven. Prayer is not, oh God, help me. Do you understand what the scripture here is conveying to us? Because God has a plan for you. God has a plan for your life. But when we get in the vein of praying in his name, according to his attributes, according to his nature, according to his will. We're praying for what he sees us as we will be to become as we are. That we would manifest that in our lives. And so prayer is not a way to get what we want. I know sometimes we have, sometimes that's the way we approach prayer. Want, 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 want. And that's the times when we pray. When we want, 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 want. But prayer is not a way to get what we want, but it's a way to become what God wants us to be. Psalms 37 and verse 4, the psalmist says, Delight thyself, everybody say me. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he, everybody say he, that's God, will give thee the desires of thine heart. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he will give thee the desires of thy heart. The prerequisite to the Lord giving you the desires of your heart. A lot of times we weigh heavy on the second part of the verse. We don't weigh too heavy on the first part of the verse. Well, the Bible says the Lord will give me the desires of my heart. Wait a minute. Stop. First section of the verse says, delight yourself also in the Lord. 
the prerequisite to you getting the desires of your heart is delighting yourself in the Lord. Now watch this. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, in the Hebrew it means this, to be soft and pliable unto the Lord. It employs the imagery of a potter with his clay. Mm -hmm. Clay that is at the mercy of the potter. The idea is that it's surrendered in the hands of the potter. It is soft and it's pliable. And so when we truly surrender to the Lord, note now, his desires, when we delight ourselves really in the Lord, his desires we adopt as our own desires. In other words, we begin to want what he wants. So it's no big deal for him to give you the desires of your heart because you so, so solely invested yourself in him. Now what you used to want is not what you want now. You want what he wants. You desire what he desires. You love what he loves. So he'll give you the desires of your heart because now your desires are mirroring what his desires are. Delight thyself in the Lord also, in the, and he will give thee the desires of the heart. So God's will done in our lives, again, it's not about him forcing things upon us, but it's about really us surrendering to his desires and wishes and being conformed to his will. Therefore, therefore, works that he speaks of, even these greater works, works and answer prayer, is more about relationship with the Lord than it is our requests made to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Yes, the request must happen. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. But the request happens because we don't feel awkward in asking. Someone hear me right now? It's easier for me to ask something of someone that I'm in a relationship with than someone I don't know from Adam. I'll, I may ask Brother James to help me change the tire on my vehicle than I would just go up to some stranger on the street and ask them. Why? Because I have relationship with him. Just right. yeah. yeah. mm -hmm. help me for a moment. If prayer's feeling awkward, Step back and check relationship. John 14, verse 15. Let's carry on. I didn't even start a timer. You guys did. Good for you. It's still green, by the way. If ye love me, and we're going to do a little skipping around here. If ye love me, Jesus says, keep my commandments. Now, this, this gets very interesting because we see this idea of love. We see this idea of commandments. We see this idea of obedience uh, throughout the rest of this chapter in, in places as it jumps around somewhat. You look at verse 15. You look at verse 21 through 24. You look at verses 30 through 31. You see this idea of love and obedience and keeping commandments. But here's what I want to convey to you here tonight. The whole premise of Jesus's effectiveness in the earth is in many regards based upon his relationship with the Father. And when I say that is this, it was his relationship with the Spirit that resided in him. His effectiveness was based upon the relationship with the Spirit that resided in him. Again, God was in Christ. Perhaps more plainly, God, which John 4 tells us, which is Spirit, was in Jesus, which was a man known among the earth. 
Christ spoke what God spoke and did what God wanted done. Jesus Christ was led by the Spirit of God. That man, if you will, was led by the Spirit of God. There was an ebb and flow in the relationship between Jesus' humanity and Jesus' divinity. Why is that important? It's important because the first Adam in the garden lost relationship with God. It's important because the first relationship, there seems to be almost a severing of relationship between God and man. God would come down in the cool of the day. He would speak with Adam and Eve. But after their transgression, they are set outside of the garden and it's protected by an angel, a cherubim with a flaming sword. Something was severed. And since then, God, God had a plan even before then. But since then, God has been setting up uh, guides. God has been setting up protection, even through the Old Testament sacrificial system, whereby he could protect and guide man back into a relationship with him. One that would ensure, he's been protecting and ensured that that relationship would stay intact. And so the reason why all this is important concerning the obedience, amen, that Jesus had to the spirit that lived inside of him, amen, is that where the first man failed, Jesus is known as the last Adam. Where the first Adam failed, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, would show us how to succeed. Uh-huh. He's wanting us to take our cue from the last Adam. Whew. Hallelujah. And so Jesus, the scripture says in the New Testament scripture that Jesus Christ left you and I an example, right? A pattern. He left us an example that we should follow in his steps, right? And that wasn't just, that just wasn't relating to uh, his suffering. That's the scripture says that, that in his suffering, he left us an example that we should follow in his steps, but not in suffering only. We should also follow the Lord's steps in his submission to the will of the spirit that lived inside of him. So as Jesus was submissive to the spirit of God, so likewise should humanity be submissive to the spirit of the Lord. And so what that means is this. Jesus, he desires that you and I then would be submissive to the spirit of the Lord. And what that means is, is that we would love the Lord. That we would obey the Lord. Huh? Why? Why, why would Jesus in his earthly ministry even want that? Because if you will obey and if you will love, he says, whenever I go away, I'm going to send the comforter which is the Holy Ghost, all right? And it's going to continue to teach and it's going to continue to remind you of the things that I have taught you, right? If there's be a level of obedience and love now, perhaps when I send my spirit back to you, you'll continue loving and obeying. What is he doing? He's setting them up for success because see, there's a line of thinking here. Just think here for a moment. There's a line of thinking here. If they won't believe and love and obey when I'm tangibly present with them. When they can walk up to me and say, how you doing, Jesus? If they can't obey and love whenever I'm tangibly present with them, what will they do when I'm only among them in spirit form? Someone say amen. Therefore, Jesus says, if you love me, 
keep my commandments. I don't, maybe it's wrong, Sam, but I don't know. I think there's a difference than if I was at your house and I, you know, told Xavier, your mom said, clean your room. And maybe another thing, if the parent was actually there that said, clean your room. If I'm just conveying what they said, that's one thing. But if they're there, things get a little more serious. Amen? Someone say amen. Jesus wants his disciples to forge a relationship with him now so that later that they might be simply led by a voice or an unction. Hmm? Now they have the Christ there. I mean, he's there in flesh and blood, directs, directs, dictates, says, speaks. But later, they're going to have to know the voice of the Lord. Later, you're going to have to know the moving of the unction of the Spirit. Someone say amen. So whenever we talk then, he's saying, if you love me, keep my... He, he's setting us up for success. Because if you'll do it now and get attuned into it now, whenever I send my spirit, you'll still know that voice and you'll still be able to recognize that unction. And so when we talk about keeping the commandments, we're talking about obeying the commandments. As a matter of fact, as old as the book of Deuteronomy even, whenever you talk about keeping, amen, and obeying, those things are interchangeable. When something is said, this said, spoken of as keeping, it is just interchangeable with obeying, one and the same. Because keeping commandments are a byproduct, watch it now, of our love for the Lord talking about loving like Jesus keeping commandments is a byproduct of our love for the Lord and what our obedience does is nothing more but helps maintain the harmony that we have with him someone say amen John 14 and verse 21 Jesus says he that hath my commandments and keepeth them he it is that loveth me and he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judah said unto him, not Iscariot, all right, <laughs> not that one. Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Again, listen, he said, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them. Because having commandments is more than just hearing them. Having commandments is more than having them in written form on a scroll. Having commandments literally meant that they were to grasp them with their mind. He that has my commandments and keeps them. The word keep there means hold fast, guard, protect, even defend. That really goes somewhere, doesn't it? Well, I keep the commandments of the Lord. When's the last time you defended God's commandments? I'm not just talking about the 10 that you held fast, that you guarded and protected them. Well, glory. Huh? He said, those that do these things love the Lord. Those that do these things love the Lord. And there is a continuous love back and forth between us and God in this relationship. In addition, look what the Bible says in verse number 21, that Christ then manifests or reveals himself to them that love him more plainly, to them that are commandment keepers. He says, I'll reveal myself to you. 
I'll reveal myself. I'll manifest myself to the commandment keepers. Here's the fact. If we are interested in him, if we are invested in him, he will, he will uh, uh, illustrate and illuminate himself to us. If you're hungry for God, he'll make himself known unto you. Mm-hmm. Even among the disciples, you can look at it. Of course, there was the 12 disciples. The Bible speaks about their, uh, not in this terminology, but we, we glean this from the scripture, that there was an inner core of three, a Peter, James, and John, that even seen some things and experienced some things that the other, the other nine didn't see or experience. We see that Peter, James, and John were those that were taken up the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus' clothing became white as no fuller could white, and uh, Elijah and Moses was there, and there were conversation going on Peter James and John experienced that Peter James and John are those that were in the house of Peter's mother-in-law whenever she was healed of the fever that was upon her body nobody else experienced that but them there was a daughter of a synagogue ruler who was brought back to life you know who was in the room it wasn't Matthew and Bartholomew it was Peter James and John and even at the the final hours of Christ upon the earth when he went to the garden of Gethsemane all the disciples are there but guess what three of those he takes a little further away and talks to them about praying with him and then he goes a little further amen to have his prayer Peter James and John are those listed among them what are you thinking brother McGee I'm thinking this these people are totally invested in the Lord Peter James and John must have totally had an interest in the Lord why because he's willing to manifest things to them that he's not willing just to manifest to anybody but those that are hungry for it. One of the Beatitudes of Matthew 5 and verse 6 is, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I'm convinced the more hungry and more thirsty you are after God and his righteousness, brackets, righteous ways, the more he'll reveal himself to you and fill you with good things from above. I just don't understand why God does this for them. Maybe they're more hungry than you are. Well, glory. You ever had somebody say, well, did you get enough to eat? Well, and you're like, what's the problem? Eh. I mean, there's like a spread from here to China. It's like, what's the problem? They just didn't eat. Well, they got up to, they got the, the. Well, honey, what's wrong with your mouth? You understand what I'm saying? We want to start, we want to start charting off. Well, they had it better. This is better. God, God's got favorites and perks. No, 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 no. How hungry are you? How hungry are you? Notably, in the book of Acts, outside of them being mentioned in the upper room of the disciples, you know who is mentioned a lot? Peter. John. James. He's so hungry that he was martyred early in Acts 12. For the Lord. And because of their zeal, God is manifesting in the book of Acts, in their actions. Of greater works. And he revealed himself through them abundantly. And Judas, not Iscariot, (laughs) 
is not understanding. He understands why Jesus would manifest himself because he's already told him. Those that love me, those that obey me, I'll manifest myself. I'll reveal myself to them. So he understands why that Jesus would manifest himself to them and not to the world. He just doesn't know how that's going to happen. And so indeed, after Jesus resurrected from the dead, Jesus did. He did, didn't he? He shoot himself alive 40 days after his passion, the book of Acts says. He shoot himself alive 40 days after his passion, meaning after his death, burial, and resurrection, there was a 40-day interim of time that he remained here on the earth before he ascended into the heavens. And he shoot himself alive. And if you look in Scripture, you know who he's primarily shown himself alive to in those 40 days? Mm-mm-mm-mm. It's those that loved him when he was the man before the death, that obeyed him before the death. Followed him before the death. Someone say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Because here's Jesus. He, he, uh, he, he shows himself to them after his resurrection. He, he shows, he walks through a wall and comes into a room where they are. Amen. And Medic makes himself known to them. He shows up on the seashore later in John, right here in John 21. Amen. Children, you have any bread? Amen. He shows up. Amen. And meets them at different places and times. Look, Acts chapter number 10 and verse number 40. I'm going to have to remember to look up there. I'm looking down here thinking, man, I've hardly been up here. Well, we got all kinds. Of, sorry. Amen. John 10 and verse number 40. Him God raised up the third day, speaking of Christ, and shewed him openly. Look at verse 41. Not to all the people. Not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. Who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead? You know what that eating and drinking connotes there in Scripture? Relationship. They had fellowship. We ate and drank with him before, and they're found eating and drink with him after. They were hungry before, and they're hungry to spend time with him after. And it's to them that after he was raised... He would shoot openly unto them, not to everybody, but to them. Look now, 1 Corinthians, got a little reading here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 4 through 8. Everybody doing okay? Yeah, you're doing great. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Verse 5. And that he was seen of Cephas, right? That's Peter. Then of the twelve, after that he was seen above 500 noted, Brethren, at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. In other words, some are dead, okay? After that, he was seen of James. Then of all the apostles. Boy, we kind of got something going on here, don't we? And last of all, he was seen of me also, Paul says, as one born out of due time. Cephas, the disciples, the apostles, James, 500 brethren. Uh-huh. Paul says, even me, one that was born out. Look at this. Paul, he says, one born out of due time. Paul, in his scope and view of, of being able to see the Lord after all of this, he thought of himself unworthy. He thought of himself one born out of due time, one that was abortive, unworthy to see the Lord. Whew. So that whenever God revealed himself to Paul, listen to me now, whenever God revealed himself to Paul, it wasn't because Paul was more worthy. 
or that he was of no worth, it was because Paul was hungry. Paul said, later you can read of it, just a few verses further down, Paul said, I labored more abundantly than them all. You know that what they said? I went on a missionary trip every time I could. I went to the synagogue to preach every time I could. I prayed with someone every time I could. Why are you doing that, Paul? I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I want to experience his presence. God says, if you obey me, you love me, you walk after me, I'll manifest myself to you. I'll reveal myself to you. We, oh, yes, he loved God. He kept the commandments after his conversion. loving like Jesus. John 14 verse 23. It's fine. It, I'll, folks, I've survived. I can sweat a lot of water and still not have to take any water. John 14 verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, here we go. Look at all this. If a man love me, he will keep my words. It's like, man, thank you. He's like, man, Jesus, you're being kind of redundant here. Well, if anything ever sounds redundant to you, it's probably because he's trying to get the people to get it. Amen. If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not... Keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. He said, every, every word you ever heard from me, amen, was the Father's words anyway. So if you don't keep my sayings, you're not keeping his sayings. He said, if you won't hear me, uh, you won't hear my sayings, and you do not hear my word, then evidently you're not loving me. Now, look, Jesus, Jesus manifesting. We talk about after his resurrection, but let's wait a minute. It really could be a a couple different narratives on this fact of Jesus manifest himself. Yes, notably after his resurrection. But the word manifest just basically make, means this here in the Greek, to make known or disclose. To make known or disclose. There is another way that Jesus manifested and made himself known or disclosed himself to believers that goes beyond his post-resurrection days, and even beyond his ascension up into heaven. He manifested himself to those that received him by the gift of the Holy Ghost. He disclosed. He made himself known. The Bible said in John 1, as many as received him, speaking of Jesus, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So this kind of just further explains what it means to love God and keep his commandments and means to obey his teachings. Please, if you will, for a moment. God promises his spirit to all who ask. The Bible says in Luke eleven thirteen, 13, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Who believe, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they believe on him, should receive, obey, 
Acts 5 and 32, so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. We live in a day today, everybody just wants to hone in on one verse in Scripture and forget about the other thousands. Hone in on one chapter of the Bible. Forget about the other thousands. All you got to do is believe. Yes, and. All you got to do is ask. Yes, and. All you need to do is obey. Primarily the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection through your repentance, baptism, and filling. Yes, but you need to ask and believe and obey. It's not just that. If, if, if it's obey here and it's ask over here and it's believe over here, it is the whole corpus. It's the whole together that then brings about that infilling of the spirit of the Holy Ghost. Of the Holy Ghost. And so people of this sort, though, that ask and believe and obey, this is the type of people that the Lord wanted to be after he resurrected, after he came back in spirit form. This is the type of people that he was trying to develop. People that would ask, people that would believe, people that would obey. People of this sort, guess what? According to the scripture that he speaks right here, they're going to have access to God's presence. They're going to have access to God's presence. Them on the day of Pentecost, what is the thing question in Acts 2.37? Men and brethren, what shall we? What shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We're going to see later, probably next week in John 14, the Holy Ghost, which is the comforter, which Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I will come to you whenever that spirit of truth, when that spirit of truth, when that comforter came, guess what? That was Jesus Christ in spirit form. Someone say amen. That came to all who asked, believed, whoo, and obeyed. Someone say amen. Mm, man, you start talking about when my God self. Let's do it. Fell a little bit Bishop McGee get on me there. John 14, verse 30. I won't hold you much longer. We're not done with chapter 14, if anybody's wondering. Hereafter, Jesus says, I will not talk much to you, with you. Right? There's going to be the crucifixion. All this is going to take place. I mean, he didn't talk much to those who were had him on trial. They asked him many things, and he answered them not a word. The only time, and I've said this before, but I love it so much. And any time, even I read through my body Bible through the, the the trial of Jesus, and the only time he ever lifted his voice whenever what was in question was his identity. That's the only time he ever spoke up when there was anything in question concerning his identity, because he didn't want to be misidentified. It's the only time he ever spoke up. God help me. Hereafter, I will not talk. I can't talk, by the way. Speaking about not talking, I'm having trouble talking. Making my parents proud right now. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. For the prince of this world cometh. That's the adversary. That's the Satan. That's the devil. Slewfoot. Blah, 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 blah. Son of perdition. What do you want to call him? For the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me but that the world may know that i love the father which is that spirit that resides in him and as the father gave me commandment hold on wait a minute stop the tape 
He says, I love, I love the Father. I love the Spirit. And the Spirit gave me commandment. The Spirit gave me commandment. Even so, I do. In other words, whatever the Spirit commanded him, he did. And he's in the process of grooming us to a place that likewise, whatever the Spirit would instruct them, they would do. He left us an example. Now, Jesus' death wasn't due to Satan getting the upper hand on him. All right? Remember, the Lord laid down his life. It wasn't taken from him. He gave up the ghost. It wasn't because Satan got the got better hand. He said the prince of this world hath no, had nothing in him. Meaning this, meaning that Satan had no claim on Jesus. Primarily, Brother Terry, it's almost, in the Greek, it's almost in being through the means of a legal claim, meaning that, that Satan couldn't charge Jesus with anything because Jesus was sinless. He had no claim on him. So Jesus' death wasn't due to Satan. His death wasn't due to Satan. Watch me now. But his obedience to God was. His death wasn't due to Satan. His obedience to God. Because he was obedient to the spirit, that's what precipitated then the death. So here it is. And I'm closing. Stand with me. You'll help and blah, blah. Jesus, Jesus loves the father, which basically is this. He loves the spirit. All right. The father is the spirit. And the spirit gave him commandment. And evidently, according to God's word, we know this, that Jesus kept it, right? He obeyed it. He even had the struggle in the garden. Thy will, not my will, right? The human side of Christ, his humanity, struggled with it as our humanity struggles with it. Let it pass, Lord, right? Sometimes that's our prayer. Let it pass, Lord. The struggle. But it's like, not my will. But by our humanity is struggling with it. But ultimately, he kept the commandment of the spirit that said, you got to go to the tree. You got to go to the cross. He obeyed the commandment. And so what he is asking us to do is the same. But here's the big one for me. If you'll love me, if you'll obey me, you keep commandments. I'll manifest and reveal my spirit to you, in you. You'll know that unction. If you do all these things, if you keep the commandment, just like the prince of this world had nothing in me, the prince of this world will have nothing. Will have nothing in you. Listen to me. I I am closing. I really am. Boy, I feel the Holy Ghost. I do. How do you, you know, silence the accuser, right? Satan's the accuser of the brother. Silence the accuser. How? Revelation tells us, you know the verse, 12 and 11, right? They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, Jesus' sacrifice, and the word of their testimony. The word of their testimony. Now, see, this goes even further than just talking about, I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. 
It's not just about that. The word of the testimony goes to this depth. The word of God, the commandments of God, the precepts of God, their life testified to. They bore witness by adhering, obeying, loving that word. Woo! If you will, by delighting himself in the Lord and adopting his desires as their desires, that rose up against the accuser of the brethren and said the line is drawn right here. The Bible says, they, 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 of course, they're overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. You know why? Because they weren't thinking about themselves. They loved yeah. not their lives unto death. No, they loved his life to death. Loving like Jesus. So, go home and pray. (laughs) And love and obey and keep and guard and protect the commands of the Lord. If they brought us to a place, they're going to keep us beyond. Amen. Is everybody doing okay? Man, I could have really got excited here. Hallelujah. Come back next Wednesday. We'll try to finish up chapter 14. The Wednesday after that, the second Wednesday of November, uh, Brother Zach McGee will be here teaching on that Wednesday. And uh, I'll be out of town, but he'll be here that Wednesday. And so that'll be the second Wednesday of November. All right? Amen. Can we bow our heads and pray all night? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.